Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Alex Allen with 239 here, joined here today by Dr. Mike Havig and my partner, Aaron Stafford, for episode two of 239 Caffeinated. Um, so our podcast, as you may or may not know, is focused on conversations, just uh, relaxed, down-to-earth conversations with entrepreneurs that are a part of our network. We're based out of uh, Southwest Florida. We run a variety of different businesses um, that keep us in touch with uh, the startup community here um, and uh, everything that has to do with that, as well as venture capital, a across the US and that is Aaron's specialty. So Aaron, say hello. Hey everybody, I am Aaron and uh, help run 239 Ventures and 239 Group. So, um, and then, so Dr. Havig, Mike, if, mm -hmm. is that all yeah, right? Yeah, it's fine. Mike's great. All right. So um, I've known Mike for a couple years now. Yeah, a couple years. Um, since we launched 239 Work, our co-working space. And um, so Mike is a practicing physician. He also is an entrepreneur that has um, been running his own startup for, uh, looks like, about five years now. Yeah, we incorporated about five years ago. Hard to believe. Doesn't seem like that. <laughs> and that startup is called Health Me. So, Mike, um, if you could please tell everybody um, what exactly Health Me is. Let's start off there, and sure. then we'll start digging into some additional details. Yeah. So, Health Me is an online marketplace for healthcare. So, uh, every other segment of the economy, uh, whether it's uh, buying a computer, a car, a hotel room. You can buy those online, right? And shop and you know your price. Uh, healthcare is the only sector of business that uh, we do where we, nobody knows the price, right? And so, so what we're trying to do is bring pricing transparency to healthcare and uh, do that in a consumer-centric manner with bundled care plans. So there's no surprise bills, right? Your knee hurts, you buy a knee package. You're, you, know, you want your heart checked, you buy a heart health package, right? So very simple. So we give patients the ability to shop for healthcare and we give uh, doctors and medical practices uh, really the tools, training, and support uh, to be able to do that because most of them don't know how to retail their services. So we're helping them do that. Got it. Got it. So um, that is, I think, helpful for most people in the U.S. Um, that are familiar with our interesting healthcare system. Yeah. Um, uh, but one of, so just to give everybody a little bit of perspective and, and real world application. So today I went onto the health me website, uh, -huh. uh, doing a little bit of research and I wanted to, you know, wh what do you search when you're searching for medical procedures? So I found out how much it would cost me to have my toe amputated. <laughs> which uh, I believe it was around $5,000. It might've been four or $5,000 listed there locally. Um, and so I think that's a pretty fair price yeah. for, for having uh, a, an appendage removed. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I know that there's, there's a lot, this is a big topic in, yeah. in, the United States in particular, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on around healthcare and health coverage, and it gets very political and all of that. Of um, but before we dig into um, all of that, tell us the story of Health Me, and okay. what you know. We'll get into your background. We have uh -huh. some some nice little some tidbits that right. uh, Aaron and I want to dig in. But how do you go from practicing physician, which is where you started, mm -hmm. um, to then deciding, 
I'm going to jump in and I'm going to solve this problem. Well, I think it's it's like a lot of folks who who found companies. I mean, you're trying to I'm trying to solve a problem that I was seeing both in my practice for me and my staff and my patients, which was uh, there were there was not good access to care for people who want to pay cash. As stunning as that sounds. And if you ask any doctor if he takes cash, every one of them says yes, right? Mm-hmm. But if you call their office and ask their staff to make an appointment, uh, they generally get turned away. And if, right, amazing. because you call and you, uh, do you have health insurance? Exactly. No. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry, you need coverage, right? Yeah, exactly. So people are, uh, both patients and doctors are have kind of bought into the third-party payer, which is kind of the way it's done for most cases. But there's this growing group of patients who want to pay directly for their care. And this includes uh, small business owners, includes large businesses who are self-insured, who are really kind of self-pay. It's just the employer paying the bill for their employee, uh, medical tourists, faith-based sharing ministries, and others. At any rate, I I grew up in Naples. I mean, this is my hometown. And uh, a lot of my good friends from high school are uh, small business owners. They own uh, construction companies, and they're drywallers, they're tile guys. Uh, and they, for them, they a lot of them make a, a pretty good money. In fact, I always joke they all have nicer boats than I do. But, <laughs> but they don't. They don't want to allocate their money to health insurance. Twenty, thirty grand a year for them and their family. And so uh, I get these semi-angry angry text messages at night that would say, uh, "Hey, Mike, I tried to get my kid in to see you today. He hurt his knee playing soccer, and, and your office wouldn't make me an appointment." Uh... And I'd be like. Well, I get it. We're probably booked out a month. I'll squeeze you in tomorrow, whatever. And they're like, no, 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 that's not it at all. The reason they wouldn't make me an appointment is they don't have insurance. And, and they'd make it very clear. They're like, look, I'm not asking for a freebie because you're my friend. I'm willing to pay cash with a credit card, whatever. But they will not see me. They, 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 they turn me away. And I'd go into my office the next day and I'd say, hey, what's the deal? Why wouldn't we make Mr. Kid, Mr. Smith's kid an appointment? And they say, oh, sorry, Dr. Havoc. We didn't know he was your friend. And I'd say, it doesn't matter if he's my friend. Right. Somebody that wants to pay cash for my services, uh, let's get him in. And they'd be like, okay, got it. But they didn't get it. Time and time again, this happened. And, and then I started to realize that it wasn't really my staff's fault to some degree. A lot of it was my fault because I really hadn't given them clear pricing or bundled things, right? So they didn't know what to tell the patient. Uh, how much going to cost to see Dr. Havoc? Well, it depends if he does this or this or that or does an x-ray or does this. And, uh, and so I really hadn't prepared them to answer that question. And quite honestly, for most medical staffs, and we actually studied this, we did a national study. Uh, we looked at about 3,200 orthopedic surgeons and 83 practices. And we posed like a secret Santa type, secret shopper thing, I guess I should say. We posed, we called and said, hey, I want to, I hurt my ankle. I want to see, you know, Dr. Jones or whoever. And we found that uh, fewer than 10% of those practices would see the patient. So, so I started looking into it, learning more and realized that, that one of the big hurdles for patients to be able to do this is uh, most doctors don't know the price for what they're doing. Most their staff does. There's 10 different prices for everything. There's the sticker price, there's the health uh, care insurance price, and that may mm-hmm. differ between Aetna and Blue Cross and others. And then there's a Medicare price and Medicaid price. And and so what I'm one of, one of the missions that I have really to, to make this platform su- successful really is to educate my colleagues that, hey, these are, these are patients who want to see it, they're willing to pay. And by them paying, particularly through our platform, they pay in advance, the money's held in escrow, and then we distribute the payment to the doctor uh, after they're seen with no headaches, no paperwork. Because uh, that's the other pain point I was seeing. Like number one, my patients couldn't get in to see me. Number two, uh, physicians spend about 50, 55% uh, is cited in a Stanford study, 55% of their time uh, doing paperwork. And when I say paperwork, I mean entering data into the computer, but right. administrative duties 
in order to get paid purely. It's not for better healthcare. It's not to make the patient better. In fact, it makes healthcare worse because if anyone's been to the doctor recently, he's listening, you know, your doctor sits there and pecks into his iPad or computer. Yeah. Or, or worse, he d uses voice voice to text, so he's talking to his computer while and, you're trying to talk. To yeah. Him. yeah, so it, it, and so with with this group of patients, you know, it's kind of like, hey, these are people. Give them a fair price, and they're willing to pay you. And so, as, as a patient, you get reasonably priced healthcare. You know your costs in advance for these bundles, and a, and as a doctor, you get to do what you're trained to do, which is take care of your patient. And they can be paid a fair price and a reasonable amount of time without a bunch of headaches, right? So, so they're really kind of the two big problems we're solving for patients and, and doctors. That sounds like it's a challenge to get that education <laughs> out there and to go through that process. It is, it is. And we've, uh, we've been working hard over the last few years. I mean, that's why it's taken a bit of time to get this going, building the platform, fine tuning it, you know, testing, pivoting a little bit here or there. Um, and, you know, it's kind of where we are today. So we're finally getting... Uh, a fair amount of traction and, and it's really exciting. I mean, all the hard work is starting to kind of pay off at least. Right. So speaking of that, um, so one of the, the reasons that you were top of mind is, as we were going through this is the news article that uh, came into my inbox the other day uh, from yeah. the Business Observer um, that you've raised your, um, according to the, the Business yeah. Observer, haven't confirmed, yeah. um, but that you've raised a seed round um, and that you also uh, won some additional uh, capital through uh, a pitch competition. That's so great. that's got to be pretty exciting for you. How does that change your trajectory or how do you, how do you believe that's going yeah. to change your trajectory? Well, it helps a ton because I mean, two things, I mean, it just gives you validation. I think as, as an entrepreneur, you know, you have this idea, you have this problem you're trying, trying to solve and you're going to kind of labor away at it for a long time. And, and we're, we're, I mean, I would say that we're very early for what we're doing. And, and I knew that. And the question is, can we kind of continue down and hone the platform and start signing up docs? and kind of wait for the market to kind of catch up with us, if you will. Mm -hmm. And now, and what I can tell you in the last, you know, really just two or three years, physicians now, they understand the problem. They used to look at me like I had two heads when I talked to them and now they get it right. And so uh, raising this capital, uh, you know, we were very fortunate. We were able to oversubscribe the round. There was a lot of interest. And then uh, we, we uh, were one of the, the top three companies at the Florida Venture Forum. Uh, pitch competition in, in October, which was great. Again, it just kind of validates what, you do, what you're doing. I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you're kind of beating your head against the wall to some, some degree, like doing all this work. And, you know, in my case, I, I was kind of self-funding this for the most part. Uh, I had one angel investor early on, but uh, yeah, you're putting a lot of money into it and a lot of time and effort and energy. And you, you kind of, I mean, we've got a long way to go, but it it's nice to kind of cross that hurdle. You know, I think, I don't know what the stats or the odds are, but everyone says, you know, hey, you know, there's all these startups and maybe whatever, 10 percent of them can raise right. capital or whatever the number is. And so at least it's kind of validation in this in the money. We you know, we've we've I think if I'd raised that money a couple of years ago, it might not have been as, as valuable to us. Right. Because, again, the market's kind of catching up to us. We've honed the product. Uh, we've kind of honed our approach to 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 onboarding doctors and whatnot. We, we've kind of been able to do that as a kind of self-funded company where I'm you know, very frugal. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like you kind of yeah. like if someone had thrown a bunch of money at me three years ago, it might have, you know, I don't know that I'd be ahead of where I am today. But but now the timing's right where we we're growing our team. Uh, we're rebuilding, uh, working on a rebuild of our software platform, uh, 
just, I mean, it, it's been fine, but we need to make it more scalable and just more user friendly and uh, add features for the, for the clients. And, you know, it's just all the stuff that's been kind of sitting there like, well, we have a little more money, we can do it. And now we're able to do all that. So I think that'll really help uh, fuel our growth this year. Mike, for for people that are kind of follow venture capital and, and startups, which probably a lot of people listening, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how how you priced it? I, there's a lot of question right now as to, you know, um, how easy it is to fundraise, how mm-hmm. people are pricing their rounds. People say yeah. you know, valuations are skyrocketing. Um, it, you know, can you can you speak a little bit to that? And sure. Also, maybe like if you're able to and willing, um, maybe who who funded you? Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the first part of that question, we raised our our money through a convertible note, so it wasn't really a priced round. Okay. That being said, the valuation cap is something that everybody thinks about, and uh, you know, through advisors and others, in uh, looking at comparable uh, companies in our space. I mean, this, there's very few that are exactly in our space, but. You know, we're a two-sided marketplace, healthcare technology, it, it's pretty pretty hot space. We're solving a big problem that needs to be solved. So we check a lot of the good boxes. Uh, that being said, we're in Southwest Florida. I think, you know, if we were in, you know, Silicon Valley, we probably would have had a much higher valuation cap. But the reality of it is uh, it's a little different if you're not in Silicon Valley. But, but that being said, uh, you know, we had a price in mind and then um, – we were going to raise the round. We started doing this last a year ago, fall and kind of into January, February, like, all right, now we're really going to go out and get this money. And then COVID hit. Right. And so that throws everything for a loop. And so during the six or so months, uh, you know, during the COVID main bulk of the COVID crisis, spring and summer, we actually were able to accomplish a lot. And uh, we found that doctors and their office managers and others had, you know, time on their hands to do webinars, learn about what we're doing. So we actually gained a lot of traction during that phase. But but then we came out to kind of price our, our you know, put a valuation cap on our convertible note, at least. Uh, we, we kept the terms the same as year before. And, you know, some of my advisors had said, well, maybe you could probably raise those because you've accomplished a lot. But I don't know. We'd have been talking to these people and you never know, right? I mean, you don't want to outpri- you know, price yourself out of the market and whatever so right yeah i mean um we we found that you know at the beginning of 2020 when covid was kind of introduced everyone was scrambling um to raise more money because they were like you know they didn't know how long this was going to last we still yeah, exactly. don't quite understand it and so it's it's tough because it kind of forces you to um you know are you raising more than you need to or are you not raising enough it's just an uncertain time so it shook up the VC space a little bit. And then you have the VC firms kind of focusing on their own portfolios, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Not new business. So, um, but I'm, I'm really excited to see you get the funding that you need to, to, to drive this thing. Yeah, it's exciting. And then the second part of your question, uh, early investors, most of them were uh, kind of close in people, uh, a number of physicians who are using the platform and their practices and uh, see the value of it. Uh, other people in the healthcare space, uh, some, you know, one kind of insurance executive, uh, former insurance executive, uh, who was very high up at one of the large insurance corporations. Um, just mostly kind of healthcare related people like that. Right. Uh, one, um, we did have a, a 
one of the uh, local angel funds uh, invested or seed funds invested early uh, prior to this round, actually, just in a kind of seed, you know, very early seed stage investment. Uh, sure. But mostly it was just individuals who are familiar with the platform, uh, some of my advisors and just other close in folks. So we really I mean, we were very fortunate. Right. Because, as you said, with covid. Gosh, you know, you're talking to people last spring and they're like, well, as you said, investing in the companies they've already funded, trying to keep them afloat, trying to move them through this crisis. And, you know, we didn't know what it was going to look like, you know, towards the end of the summer. Everyone said, yeah, we're on hold with new investments for three to six months. And you never know. Right. So uh, we were very fortunate that it, that it worked out well for us because I know it, it is a tough, uh, tough environment to raise capital in. Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really exciting. I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's a great story for Southwest Florida, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we're continuing to grow the startup community here so course, and yeah. that you've had that success. So um, we're definitely going to shout it from the rooftops, every opportunity that we get um, so that everybody does know that not only do we have sunshine and beaches <laughs> and um, all, all that good stuff, but we do also have the opportunity to grow a startup and a tech startup at that. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's an exciting time uh, for the area. You know, when I started uh, down this path five years ago when I incorporated, I didn't have a product or anything. I mean, one of the things that's really helpful for me, I got to give, give a shout out to Fusion Point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone, I didn't know a thing about it and I was kind of didn't know where to go and I was starting this thing and, and hired a software developer and, and someone told me about Fusion Point. So they've been... Uh, They've been they've been great. They were they were gave, hooked me up with some great advisors, and I would say just five years ago the the startup community was very small. And, it, and to me, it, it's amazing the growth as you've seen being here for a number of years and and just the various programs, uh, whether it's Fusion Point two three nine, you know the FGC program. I mean, there's there's just all kinds of exciting things going on. And I think with you know you know one of the fallouts of the COVID crisis is all these people are moving to Florida right. from New York and Boston and Chicago and, and even Silicon Valley. So I think it, I think it's a really exciting time to be uh, an entrepreneur in a, in an accelerator in South Florida, because I, I, I think a lot of, I think we're going to, I think we're going to be successful in really growing this movement and having a lot more homegrown companies here, hopefully thanks to the help of two, three, nine and other, other accelerators. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, some, it's a, constant conversation right but the conversation is evolving and changing right and so what we've been able to um accomplish and connect down here through our efforts and and through the the labs program and uh joining um you know participating with fusion point early on and then bringing fusion point into the 239 fold Mm -hmm. um as we continue to grow and, and and uh, gain traction with our efforts, it's been, um, it's just amazing to see the difference. And yeah. I think one of the things that really caught me by surprise um, for you know those that, that don't know that are listening, um, so we just launched our formal accelerator last year, um, about to launch cohort number two here in a few weeks. But in that first cohort, the, the thing that really struck me was we had seven startups in that cohort. And of those seven, um, five were from Southwest Florida, one from Tampa, one from uh, Miami. And the I think the biggest one of the biggest pieces of value that those startups got is that they became part of a community because mm-hmm. they all 
felt alone yeah um so just exactly. having the you know having the time getting the connection having a slack channel to talk about some of their pains and realizing they're not alone i think was a huge value for for some of them and you know it doesn't make the pain go away obviously mm -hmm. but it does help to know that you're not alone going through those struggles entrepreneurship yeah, is a lonely island <laughs> yeah yeah i would agree i mean i don't think i would have Honestly, I, I don't think I would have gotten to the point of am now. I mean, I might have not even continued after a year or two if it weren't for, you know, getting plugged in with Fusion Point mm -hmm. back in, this was 2017, actually. But just having the, the support of the advisors and then just the other entrepreneurs, I think there were only like three or four other companies in it at that point. Right. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, it just kind of kind of gives you like a, you know, it's kind of like you kind of get a, you know, it's a support system. Kind of it's a family support. It's like, you know, you feel like you're, you know, not just, God, what am I going to do next? You got people you can ask and it's just, and that's super important. Like, I, I mean, I, I honestly would tell any entrepreneur listening that, that don't discount the value of, of getting involved in the local community there and, and wherever you are. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's really what, what got us where we are today. Honestly, I mean, I, we wouldn't be here without fusion, Point. I don't think. Great. Well, I have a I have a uh, a question for you. Just totally sure. changing gears, Alex. Sorry if I'm totally ruining your your agenda, or, or but I gotta ask. Can you give us uh, like what were you doing in 1996? Do you, do you know what I'm referring to? Oh, 1996. Uh, yeah, I was living in Atlanta. I I actually was an orthopedic resident at Emory University and uh, spent some time at the. Olymp Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta, actually. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I worked there as a physician, and uh, that was a great year. A lot of fun to be in Atlanta in 1996. I don't so, know if that's what you're referring to, but that's what I was referring to. And then in 2002, it was the Winter Olympics, right? Uh -huh, where was yeah. The, where was that? That was out in uh, Salt Lake City. So uh, I ended up doing a sports medicine fellowship out in Salt Lake City when I when I left Atlanta, and got kind of plugged in with the medical community there. And the uh, U.S. ski team is based in Park City, and then with the Olympics coming to Salt Lake again, it was mm -hmm. it's kind of fun to go from Atlanta right after the thing was over, and then move to another community where they're building up to this Olympic uh, event. It, it's a lot of fun. I mean, if anyone who's ever been to the Olympics, if you haven't, go as a spectator if you get the opportunity. It's so much fun. There's so much energy. But but yeah, I was able to work at the 2002 games. Uh, you know, one really cool thing about that, again, unrelated to any of this, I guess, but it's, 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 and I do talk a lot, so feel free to interrupt me carrying this too <laughs> no, far. Please. But, uh, so I worked at the bobsled venue uh, at the, at the 2002 Olympics. And so there's a local guy named Brian Scheimer, a uh, Naples high school grad who competed in five Olympics as a bobsledder, uh, as first a pusher starting, I think in the Calgary Olympics. And mm -hmm. then, uh, then as a driver and he won a bunch of world cups, uh, very respected bobsledder, but, Towards the end of his career, his fifth Olympics, he never won an Olympic medal, and uh, he won a bronze medal out there. Uh, and another American won a silver. And uh, you know it, that was very cool. It was just kind of this weird Naples connection out in uh, the Winter Olympics in 2002. So that's so, awesome. Yeah, so it's, actually, I, it's funny you say that. I actually, my stepdad was—he's a doctor, Dr. William uh, Patterson. Uh, he was working in the at the same Winter Olympics. Uh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I doubt the name rings a bell to you, but yeah. <laughs> I wonder what yeah. venue he worked at. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, we'll check offline on that. Yeah, no, that's cool though. It's fun to talk about that stuff. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah, so I've I've never been to to an Olympics, um, but the one thing that I will say is, and definitely not a Winter Olympics. Yeah. So I, I I see you know you um you you were up in Princeton for some time, mm-hmm. so I spent the majority of my childhood in South Jersey. So oh, okay. um, familiar with the area, um, but hate 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 the cold weather hate is a strong word and it is a it is an appropriate word um i could get so being down in uh florida is is the right place for me but bobsledding was always bobsled and luge uh you know i'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie so those sports during the winter olympics i i always would watch those and if i was going to do one thing in that freezing cold weather that would probably be it i would be wearing many more layers of clothing than those guys are um but but yeah it's something that i always wanted to do it just looks so i mean incredible well one last comment on that you can do it so go out to park city and they will take you down the olympic bobsled track oh really i don't know what they charge but they'll do it you can even do the summer they'll put you down on a sled kind of on like skate wheels okay and you don't have to drive it someone drives it for you (laughs) That's it's, a good thing. It's very yeah. cool. I, I had the opportunity to do that and then get on the, the it was like the, some Olympics in the 50s, the Cortina bobsled track in Italy. I was covering, I covered uh, ski World Cup events for the US ski team. And uh, I was over there a couple times, beautiful place. And someone's like, oh, you should go down the bobsled track. I was like, all right, why not? That's amazing. very, very cool. Like it's, I don't know how those guys do it, honestly. Like, I mean, you get off the thing and you're just like, dazed and confused because all the blood rushes out of your head. It's kind of, again, unrelated to entrepreneurship. But anyone that has the opportunity to go down a bobsled track anywhere in the world should do it once. It's pretty awesome. That I mean, I'm I'm going to look into that. Yeah. I I'm very interested to do that at least once because it does. It just looks like one heck of a ride. So yeah. um awesome. Well, so Aaron, I know you had some some questions you wanted to sneak in and um that that was one of them. Did you have? Did you have any other direction you want to ask here? No, no pun intended. But I pulled us off track. Uh, <laughs> but, but hey, we we've got a, a our audience. Just you know, they they want to hear. I think a lot about health, me, and in your background. So uh, it's always good to pull in some fun facts. Yeah. Um, not every day you meet you know someone that worked at you know any of the Olympics. So. Um, yeah, so so tell us how you're, you know, how is marketing going for you know the platform? Like how what are you doing? Um, what are the struggles? What are like what excites you? Like tell us a little bit more about the journey right now as you sure. really get this out to market. Well, um, so what we've learned is I mean with the two-sided marketplace, uh, we're really working on growing the supply side, right? Um, so we need doctors on the platform to make it a viable uh, marketplace for patients. And, and that's a challenge because just selling, selling to doctors is, is difficult. Uh, they're busy. They tend to overthink things and, and whatnot. And it's just, it's just hard. If you ask anyone who's ever done it, I'd never done it. I'd been on the other side of it, but now, now I get, now I know how, how hard those people work. They're trying to get me to try. Now, now the question is, do you, when people are trying to sell to you, do you treat them differently now that you've been on the other side? Yeah. And I've always been pretty good. I'm one of those guys that will listen, you know, like, yeah, whatever. And, Sure, swing by the office, give me some stuff, even if I'm not that interested. But because I, I, I just, I don't know. I, if I was in the, I always try and treat people like I want to be treated. So uh, I've always done that. But I would say now that I actually, I, I have a much better understanding of it. But, but the point is, it's difficult, right? So we had to really come up. You know, you guys have looked at the public facing marketplace, if you will, and uh, you know that's 
that's up and running, but it's just kind of been sitting on the sidelines because what we really need to do is stock the shelves. And so in, in talking to physicians and their practice managers, you know, one of the one of the kind of channels that's worked really well for us is with me being a physician, I think it's it's there's an advantage there in selling to other doctors because you kind of get instant a little bit of respect at least right people you know kind of instantly identify you as an expert who understands their problems mm -hmm. so they at least listen and, and we found that i've kind of inadvertently become uh somewhat of an expert on transparent pricing and bundled healthcare, which is kind of a it's gotten to be a hot topic in the last couple of years so i've been invited to speak at a number of national meetings on this topic, not necessarily to pitch my company, but right. you know, you talk about this opportunity. It's like, hey, there's this group of patients and they're willing to pay. You just gotta, you know, we'll help you figure it out. And mm -hmm. and well, how do you do that? It's like, well, there's this great software product, by the way. You know, so it's <laughs> kind of like, um, but but that's really generated a lot of leads for us. And then um, so we we've been kind of doing those and onboarding docs. But the uh, I mean, the time, the turner, kind of the time to get them on board has just been ridiculously long. And, and and someone told me that a, a colleague uh, who's also an orthopedic surgeon who founded a, a software company like employment like scheduling app mm -hmm. type thing and uh, he told me he's like selling these big orthopedic groups it's going to take you two to three years to get them on board and I was like that's crazy like you know I kind of thought to myself I didn't sell, say that to him uh, and he's got a you know a profitable software company right and he did when he was talking to me but he'd been working at it for like four or five years. And uh, but that that is what it, it doesn't take that long, but it, but it's it takes a long time to get in front of these big groups and not get in front of them, but they they verbally agree, and then it just takes a long time to get them onboarded. So what we've really been working on the last really four months since we raised the capital, we've brought it, we've grown our team with a couple uh, great uh, folks that we've met locally. One of the whom you introduced to me, Alex, is Dave uh, Kamaski. He's been awesome. Uh, Dave founded a two sided marketplace for. Uh, for pet services, uh, Aaron and I were just we're just talking about him. Aaron actually just uh, spoke to him earlier today, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I did. Cool. I gotta say, I'm putting it out there. Two sided marketplace, just marketplaces are so difficult. So yeah. and it's it's a tough it's a tough journey for sure. Yeah, but yeah. Dave's been great helping us. Uh, Dave, and then uh, we brought in another guy, uh, Patrick Wells, who's kind of serial healthcare entrepreneurs worked in startups a lot uh and he was you know the one thing about naples that's great is is you have a lot of kind of smart successful people down here who mm -hmm. sometimes are just looking to get involved in something new after they've exited their company or done this or retired or whatever and uh so the, so patrick's a very much of a process guy so he's he's been helpful so we've been just you know building blueprints for our entire sales process mm -hmm. automating it uh creating we, we've known we need to do this for a long time, but you just you're running around and just trying to do so many things at once. So bringing those guys in has allowed us to really uh, get more organized along our our kind of sales cycle, as far as in uh, speeds onboarding. So real world example, and we were all pretty psyched about this. We kind of had a little internal celebration. Just well, there was a big group uh, we we're talking to uh, up in uh, Virginia, very large orthopedic group, more than 100 docs. It'll be the biggest account we we sign up, and uh, you know, from the time we first talked to them, which was I think early November, to getting commitment and getting them started to be onboarded, and even through the holidays, we presented to their board and like gosh, the week before Christmas, and uh, you know, by late January, really like eight weeks, we're onboarding them, and and they're you know, it's going to take a little bit more time to onboard them, but our goal is to try and get some of these big groups onboarded 
you know, in four to six weeks as opposed to six months or longer. Right. Right. So, so our process is the first time we'd actually use kind of the, 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 you know, the, the kind of handouts and just all the educational stuff instead of me and John Susar is my, I gotta give a shout out to my VP of operations. who was my first hire like two years ago. Um, you know, we we're able to go through a process now, like we had a process, but it was, kind of more flying by the seat of your pants. Like, right. you know, we had to do a webinar and then we got to meet with the board and then we got to do this and we got to do that. But now we've got a very laid out process with deadlines and we're kind of, you know, we've, we've just learned a much better way to do it. Uh, you know, and so you alluded to the money we raised. I mean, it's a lot of to hire a couple of really great people who have, uh, who are just helping us, you know, create all these processes for our sales our marketing or, you know, and all those things really had come up with like a more long-term, plan so that's great that's great so you you had talked about onboarding and i just um terminology wise i just just to try to break it down so there's the sales cycle and then there's the close Mm -hmm. and then there's the onboarding so in so where were you before and like where were you post getting these processes in place you mean time wise time wise yeah Yeah, so well that's kind of what Go ahead. I'm sorry. So for the and then breaking it down, just because I think it's interesting for for people that are going through that right now and yeah. doing a lot of it by the seat of their pants, um, how those processes have adjusted those timelines for the sales process and then for the onboarding process. Well, so so I'm going to kind of skip over. Well, sales, I guess, is part of it. So we get you know just in broad terms, we get a lead, you know. The leads, some are great leads, some of them are not so great. But interestingly, the cool thing about our platform is when I talk to people about it, it's one of those things that like everybody, like if it's their doctors, practice managers, initially they're like, you know, people traditionally, I think doctors and their practice managers equate, you know, self-pay with no pay to some degree, right? Uh, and because they don't have a process for it, right? That's right. kind of what I there learned. That's what we're giving them. Um and uh, they forget to collect. They don't have a price. They, you know, do all this crazy stuff, right? So it's easier for them not to see the folks. So number one, we have to convince them that this is a, a group of patients they want to treat in the sales process, and that and that was one of the biggest hurdles. And then number two, for us, I mean, healthcare is a, a highly regulated uh, industry, right? It's kind of like banking, if you will. I mean, it's just a lot of privacy issues, a lot of this, a lot of that, and and and, and physicians and their practice managers are fairly risk averse. And so is it legal, right? Can I can I charge cash price for my services? And yeah, it is. I mean, but we spend a lot of time, energy and money uh, researching that with our legal team in uh, it. The Vermont law is very different states. But but those are the two big sales hurdles, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we overcame that to some degree with what I alluded to earlier, where you kind of becoming kind of an expert in the field. Sure. Yeah. And, and doing the research and spending the money. I mean, you're going to have to like if you're in a highly regulated industry, you need to have someone selling that is respected, right? That like in healthcare, I think it, you know, I kind of fell into it, obviously, but, but having a, being a doctor, I mean, it just, it, it, it helps, right. It gives me credibility, but then I had to spend the money. I mean, I spent a lot of money on legal on this early on just to kind of vet the concept and what do we have to do to make this legal and not run afoul of this regulatory thing or that or this. And, uh, and so I can go to these groups and, and prove to them that, yes, here's a statement, you know, you're in Virginia, we've done the research. There's a, there's a 30 page legal document that, says it's legal in Virginia, but here's a, you know, one and a half page summary. Uh, But it's, it's that part of the sales. It was tough. And then, so to get someone to commit, um, 
was fairly easy, but then to get them to the next step to start onboarding was very hard, right? Because people just say, okay, well, you're, we got all these software apps and other things we're doing. You're number 21, right? So the question is, you know, how, how do you make it like a must have as opposed to a nice to have? Sure, yeah. And that's kind of what we've been working through the last uh, number of months. And, and you know, just the, the market with uh, the government, you know, on January 1st, this healthcare pricing transparency law went into effect for hospitals. Mm-hmm. But I think these people see that, hey, this isn't going to stop at hospitals. It's going to come to your surgery center and your clinic and everything else. So so, so the wind's kind of at our backs, which helps. But but given once they say, yes, we want to do it, we're all on board, the board's voted, we're moving forward, you know, we have to get them to price their services. They have no idea how to do that, right? So we learned that we had to, you know, we've done all the research, we have data, and we had to go into them and just say, look, here's here's a range. And, you know, so we've really learned to be more kind of, we're kind of consultants on this whole price yep. and transparency thing, right? And they see value in that. And it's something that, that, that at least in the medical field, people understand that model and they kind of respect it you go in as the expert and you're like hey this is what you should charge for this here's a range here's what people are doing uh using terminology that's familiar to them from commercial insurance as a percentage of medicare and at any rate i'm getting into the weeds a little bit but but the bottom line is, is number one, you're gonna have people calling you up asking you what they should be paying <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh but yeah so, so that first hurdle is you know convincing them that they can do it then once they say yes the onboarding it we really just had to have a process you know here's a spreadsheet with all our packages here's a range of pricing here's what we suggest we can't tell them what to price they pick their own prices but here's you know what what the market's telling us about pricing these certain services mm-hmm. and uh working through that and, and that still took a long time so before our current process i mean gosh we had a group we onboarded that we've been talking to for 18 months right after they committed but it falls by the wayside and then COVID hits and all this stuff and then we, we finally got them onboarded in the fall uh, or I guess they were about 12 months, but this group I was referring to earlier. Yeah. From yes, we want to do it after seeing a webinar to like having all their data turned into us so we can start building their profiles and, and building their, uh, their marketplace page for their website. Uh, it was like eight weeks, right. Instead of 12 right. months. Right. And we're hoping to get that down, you know, even sure down lower to no, it, two it, weeks if we can. It's so funny because these are similar problems, completely different industries, you know, with a transition to a new piece of software or a new product or transitioning from, you know, replacing something that's already been in-house. And where do you get stuck? Well, you always, you know, if you have a large quantity of data that needs to get, that's always the tripping point in implementation is, okay, how do we make this as smooth a process as possible while making sure that the data gets the attention mm-hmm. that it needs, right? Yeah, because you, you know, every, everybody knows the saying, you know, um, crap in, crap out. Um, so you have to take the time to scrub it and make sure that it's relevant. But you know, it's so interesting to hear from your perspective. You're going through the same thing that. Uh, onboarding, you know, a, a piece of software that is a you know HVAC repair you know mm-hmm. uh, platform, right? Well, you got to get all of your services in there. You yeah. got to pick prices for them. You got to get your flat rate going. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. obviously 
very, you know, there's a, a lot of differences in, in between and how you implement and uh, some of the, the the steps that you have to go through and vet. But um, same type of issues with the onboarding and make it, just making it as easy as possible for your for your customers. So yeah. uh, I think that's a, a a good takeaway for everybody um, that that's listening to this is is that that can really trip you up. If but it can also be a huge asset, as you're saying, as as an expert in the field and yeah. making it easy for uh, these doctors to do that. So, yeah, it's kind of, it, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like, I mean, you, you kind of may, it's really difficult, but once you have it, it's kind of, it's, a, it's kind of a good defense for your company. Like, you know how hard it is to get these people up on the platform, not just for me, for everybody, like just healthcare software is difficult. And so, you know, if we can get, you know, critical mass of providers on board, they're not, it's not like, uh, you know, hey, I'm gonna use the Starbucks app or the Caribou Coffee app, right, or whatever. I don't even know if Car Caribou Coffee still exists somewhere. I think it does in <laughs> Minneapolis. But the uh, long and short is, yeah, once these guys and, and, and girls are on our platform, that's like, you know, they're not gonna leave us for a competitor. You know, it's 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 they 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 kind of grow to trust you and you create a process. Uh, and one of the other things we're working on right now, we just hired someone to help us with kind of branding and and, and things like that, just to you know, we want to be kind of the go-to, you know, if someone wants to buy healthcare and find out, or, or even if they have insurance, they just want to find out what reasonable pricing is, we want them to be able to go to our site. Hey, I'm going to check health me. Right. So we're working that's with somebody on that. It was vast experience in healthcare and just another, another person that's kind of fallen into our laps because of our, our, our location here in Southwest Florida, we get these incredible people that would be like, gosh, I don't know what we'd have to pay these people on like the open market, but they're just happy to advise and, you know, just, think it's cool and uh but yeah but it's the branding thing and, and then getting you know so these offices we want them to say we want the staff you know it takes a while for the account to mature too it's just another topic kind of but you get them on board and, and then then educating the staff and everybody this is the process mm -hmm. someone calls it self-pay a self-insured employer calls instead of being like gosh i don't know and they're on hold for 15 minutes and telling them no it's like no problem go to the website buy it and uh and and one thing i haven't mentioned that this is a whole other topic, but we can talk about is I mentioned the public facing marketplace, which is, I think, what most people look at. But what we found is to be able to do this, we, we really uh, not really a pivot. But what we found is if we, we white labeled that the platform to medical practices, they all like the idea of having it right on their website. Mm -hmm. and so we've kind of white labeled that. And that's really what we're honestly what we're selling now. But it, it allows it gets them on the platform. Then it's like, do you want to be on the public facing marketplace? Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't we like some docs looked at that and they're like, Man, it's like Amazon for healthcare. I don't want to have my my prices next to my competitors. I'm a little weird about that. And sure. And so by giving them their own platform on their website and a process and kind of the consulting work we do and the advice and the pro it's really giving them a process to to take care of these folks uh, that kind of gets them in the door. It's an interesting approach. I also thought it was interesting. I mean, just for those that are listening, you mentioned legal, right? I mean, all the yeah. cost that went into legal. You know, it was probably a huge pain in the butt, uh, but ultimately that becomes a little bit of your moat, right? I mean, um, so the, the barrier to entry is is just seeing that you've had to navigate that stuff over the years and spend so much money. I mean, I think that's that's really actually a positive. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. Uh, I, I, I've kind of thought about it like that, but not that much. But yeah, you make a great point. It was, and that was a huge hurdle to overcome. You know, I. Everyone's like, wow, that's a great idea. And then it's like, well, is it legal? And I <laughs> <laughs> out a bunch of money to have healthcare attorneys look at it. And 
And, you know, I was like, oh my God, I hope they don't come back and tell me I can't do this because I already yeah. started building the platform right? <laughs> and spending yeah. money on software development. And uh, luckily they're like, well, you, you can do it, but you got to do this. And you got to do that. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And, uh, you know, a lot of that kind of back and forth. But yeah, you're right. It, it is. It, it's a it's a tough. Healthcare is a tough uh, kind of vertical or industry to innovate in for a lot of reasons. The regulatory environment. Sure. The, just, you know, the the kind of status quo attitude. I think a lot of mm -hmm. uh, docs and medical practices have, uh, you know, myself included up to this point. I'm, I'm not saying I'm any better or smarter than they are because for a long time, I mean, I think we're all just working hard and we bury our heads and we just see patients and we, we work hard and we complain a lot. Like if you sit in a doctor's lounge <laughs> at the hospital, it's like all everybody has complaints. So, you know, it's kind of well, finally, I mean, I've been thinking about doing this for about 15 years and I finally was just like, all right, I'm going to do it. Right. Take that first step yeah. and, and try and solve the problem. So, well, good, good for you. First, you know, first to market or one of the first to market with the solution. And that's a great place to be. Yeah, we're trying. So, um, so want to be uh, respectful of your time. And uh -huh. so 239 caffeinated. So we mm -hmm. call it caffeinated for a reason. It's yeah. because entrepreneurs, they just go and go and go yeah. and you need fuel to, yeah. to go. Well, you, um, you're doing double duty, right? So mm -hmm. you not only have your tech startup, but you're a practicing physician. You, you have your own practice, right? Uh -huh. Yes. Um, you, you were late to, to our session here because you were in the OR. Yeah, so that's, right. I, that's the first time I've ever gotten to say that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how do you, so what, how do you keep going? Like what, what, how do you find the energy? How do you refuel? Mm -hmm. Are are you a coffee guy? Are you yeah. a booze guy? Are you a health guy? Like what, what is it uh, that you do that, or do you just, I, you're like Aaron and you just work. I just, I mean, I'm kind of like Aaron. I just work, but uh, I've never been a coffee drinker, interestingly, until, until I started this project. So now, now <laughs> I actually drink a bit more coffee than I used to in Red Bull. So that keeps me going. I try to stay healthy, but I don't do a great job at it. But, uh, you know, I, I think one, so a couple of things, I mean, a couple of comments I'd make on this. I think it's kind of interesting because, I mean, the, the traditional, uh, and, and it's, I disagree with with the statement I'm about to say, and, I, and I'd like to try and prove these folks wrong, which is why I'm driven to do this. It's like, everyone's like, well, you got to quit your day job, right? And, and at some point you do, I get it. But I think part of the reason there's lack of innovation, at least in healthcare, is is a lot of people can't quit their day job, right? And, and it, not until they get a little more, you know, traction if and whatnot but but i think you know in complex uh environments uh like healthcare, uh you know you need people that are that are living it right whether it's a patient or a doctor or a practice manager or somebody that's in the trenches every day doing it to really understand the problems and i think a lot of people are, are kind of turned off by that they're like ah i can't do it because i don't want to quit my day job and what i'd encourage people to do is if you have a great idea and it's something you know a lot about and you're passionate about it is at least take the first step and start going down that road. And then uh, then you, at some point you're going to have to make a decision, right? Um, and, and in my case, you know, what I always tell people is it's, you know, at some point I'd probably hand off the reins as being the CEO maybe, but I'd, I'd be the chief medical officer. And I think there's a lot of value, at least for my company, and they're all different. But for my company, there's some value about a practicing physician being in the leadership Mm -hmm. uh, a leadership role with the company, right? Because you're kind of still in the trenches. You're kind of seeing what's Eating going on. Eating your own dog food. And uh, and and then uh, again, I ideally I'd love to be the first doc. Well, actually, someone's already beat me to the punch, but but one of the first docs to be able to 
opt out of all the headaches of insurance and just charge like reasonable fees and, and maybe just be an all health me doctor, right? Like, Hey, can I survive that way? It's kind of a case study, but, uh, yeah, but, but anyway, I, I mean, I just have like a lot of people, I don't know. I've always just, I've never needed much sleep, I guess is one thing people always joke, my family, uh, my parents back in the day. I mean, my friends, like I, I just, I don't know. It's probably not good for me health wise, but, <laughs> but I can go. I, I mean, I basically, I tell people I work two full jump jobs. I think people think um, that, well, if you're doing your medical practice, you can't do this. But I mean, I do at least 40 hours a week on health me and I probably do more than that on, on my practice and, uh, and probably more than on health me, honestly, um, which which starts to, to tax you a little bit. But I think a lot of physicians, um, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, we're kind of conditioned to work hard. Like when you did your residency, like, man, you're working, that's working like 100, 120 hours a week or something. Like you're on call every other night. You're up all, you're up for 36 hours, off 12 hours. So you just get these, it's not good by any means, but you just get this, <laughs> this screwed up work ethic, I think. And if it's something that's fun, honestly, like I enjoy my day job, if you will, and I enjoy doing this. Like this is a cool challenge for me. And, uh, and I think a lot of folks, you know, you know, what they're, when they're at, the point that I'm at in the career, you know, there's that 10,000 hour rule, right? You get really pretty good at doing what you do, like mm -hmm. your day job that you can almost do it without making any effort, which frees up a lot of brain power <laughs> to work on this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, any rate, uh, it's interesting. That, you that makes sense. Mike, it's interesting you bring that up because Alex, was it Enrico we had on that talked yeah. about? Yeah. He, you know, the other point he made is as an entrepreneur, you want to reserve, you know, your your bank account as much as you can. If you have an additional source of income coming in, I mean, that's really beneficial to to your company, right? That you're trying yeah. to. Um, so I I tend to agree. As long as your investors are okay with it, and yeah, you know, um, so I, I I think it's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. No, it's green. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it 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 makes for some long days, but it but it's fun. I mean, honestly, I enjoy it. I mean, it's uh, I was trying, I was talking to. So this is kind of a cool thing that maybe a little bit off topic, but uh, and I want to be respectful of your time too, because as I said, I am a talker. So, uh, <laughs> so so one cool thing that's come out of this experience for me, the whole entrepreneur experience, is uh, I've connected with other physician entrepreneurs and. Uh, so uh, specifically orthopedic surgeon entrepreneurs, as well as a physician entrepreneur group uh, of which we have a chapter here. But uh, so we started a group called Ortho Founders, which is orthopedic surgeon founders. It's orthofounders.com. And it's not a it's just a cool thing. I'm not trying to promote it necessarily or get free promotion, but there's nothing to promote. It's just cool if you're into entrepreneurship. But uh, so I got a, a marketing email from a, an orthopedic surgeon in uh, Nashville who had a uh, it's like a social media patient engagement app. And, and I thought, Hey, this is really cool. This is like two years ago. And it's like, oh, wow, another orthopedic surgeon is he's being a software entrepreneur. Right. And still working full time. Right. So you're right. like, Oh, this is cool. So I emailed him back and I said, Oh, wow, that's, you got a cool platform. Hey, uh, I'm kind of doing something too. This is what I'm doing. Let's talk. Right. And so he and I had a conversation. We talked for probably two hours, you know, just commiserating about the difficulty in the journey and all this stuff, sure. but, but, how, but we're both very excited about it. And he's like, you know, I know two or three other orthopedic surgeons who have started companies. I said, why well, know two or three also? And so we uh, put together like a Zoom call. This is August of uh, 2018. I guess we've been around for two and a half years now. And so there's six of us. And now there's like 75 of us. 
wow. in this group and we do like usually monthly, you know, zoom meetings. And, and now we're, uh, we're starting to be kind of the go-to group to, you know, there's this big push for entrepreneurism. I think there has been, but in medicine, it's been lagging. So one of our missions is really to educate our colleagues that they too can solve problems that they have, right? Like instead of just complaining about it, get off your butts and do something. So uh, we're speaking uh, at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting. Like the last couple of years, we've had all these, you know, symposiums and things for uh, physician entrepreneurism. And, and that's just been a really cool thing. But in talking to some of these other folks, um, and they're all over the country, uh, is, is kind of the same thing I just said. Like, it's kind of funny. We're all in the same boat. It's a, you know, a lot of us are older for entrepreneurs, right? Like we're in our forties and fifties and, uh, but it's the same thing, right? It's like, man, yeah, just my day job. Like I love taking care of people. I, I shouldn't say it's boring because it's not, I mean, it, I talked to a lot of interesting people, but, but you, you get pretty adept at things that you just, it doesn't take as much of your brain power. And then you kind of get bored and then people do stupid things, right? They, they go out and do stupid stuff, right? So we're channeling that energy, kind of that midlife energy, if you will, into, <laughs> into founding companies. And, and so, uh, so it's kind of cool. I mean, it's cool to talk to other people who are kind of also practicing physicians. And, and interestingly with this group, all these docs, full-time physicians, founded companies. I mean, some of them had really big exits. They've sold one of the guys who's up in Clearwater, who I know he just sold his company to uh, J&J Depew, and he's developing another thing now. And, and another guy, I mean, these people have you know, had big, big exits, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and they've been able to, you know, build a company, take it all the way through the process, exit the company while still, you know, practicing medicine full time. So, so that, that gives me like some hope that I can maybe do that. I don't know. Who knows? Right. We'll see. Line them up for your series. A. They've had big exits. They, yeah, exactly. Hey, I've been talking to them. Actually one of them did invest. So I got, I got one investor out of that ortho founders group. So it's kind of cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, as you're describing it, just coming back to the earlier part of our conversation where it's, you know, just having people around you that you can connect yeah. with that have gone through it. And then in this case, specific to going through that type of challenge of, you know, running both businesses or participating in both businesses and, uh -huh. and keep keeping the ball moving. It also sounds like a group that, that Aaron would probably love yeah. an introduction to, uh, on yeah. the ventures side to, yeah. uh, some future yeah. opportunities. Yeah. It, it's a great group. Check out the website. Not everybody's on there, but there are some really cool companies that, that people, I mean, you know, you always look at other companies saying, wow, that's really cool. But the cool thing about it is, everyone that's presented i mean there's been a few dogs i guess but uh but one of the good things about this group is as you talk about support groups is we have people you know new members pitch their companies right they do a seven minute pitch usually two of them and then we kind of do q a and, and and a couple of them that have been like just like you know and i'm not good at this but other some of the other folks they're willing the to are, tell them it's a terrible it's like you know what there's like 30 other companies that do this yeah right and it's like what really it's like yeah <laughs> it's like oh no, okay and then you get an email saying, "Hey guys, thanks. I'm glad I pulled the right, plug. I did more research. A whole bunch I've of money. Put a little money into it. And yeah, I'm going to go to something else, right? But most yeah. of them are actually great companies, which is kind of, it's just cool because I think it's cool when you see again go back to the innovators. Doesn't matter if it's healthcare or or fintech or whatever it might be, right? It's just like if you if you get people that are in the trenches and really understand the problems, I think you're going to see better solutions, right? Or, or more viable solutions than just you know. And that's yeah. I mean, that's kind of entrepreneurship 101, right? It's like sitting in a room trying to think about an idea you don't know like i think it'd be cool if we did this well 
Right. Yeah, it sounds cool, but right. is, sounds, is there a need for that? Right. You, you know, need to do your market research. It's a it's amazing how far people will get before they ever actually speak to a potential client. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, right. so that's that's something that I've uh, found out along this journey as well. Yeah. But um, so, Mike, I uh, want to thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'll just hit the, hit the ticker one more time along the bottom of the screen. If anybody has, um, this has piqued your interest about health me, you can, uh, find out more information at healthme.com and, um, you can, you too can find out how much it would cost to have a part of your yeah. body, uh, removed, um, if you were to pay cash, um, or if you actually have a medical condition, you can do your research there, as Mike said, and, and learn about what the fair market price for yeah. these types of services are um do you have anything else that you'd like to uh add on your, on your way out the door here well two things we also have uh, you can buy things to fix you rather than remove parts <laughs> uh but the other thing i'll say i just a little typo there our website's actually health me docs like doctors DOCS. oh i'm sorry no that's okay no, we health me is owned by somebody in like north korea and I, I can't buy it even though it's not being used but somewhere <laughs> we, will. <laughs> we will definitely get that corrected yeah so yeah. health me Docs. Docs, like doctors. Yeah. D-O-C-S. Yeah. The company's Health Me Technology, but our website is Health Me Docs. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely get that uh, posted with this podcast so that people can find you. Um, thank you so much for for the time. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. Greatly appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Um, and we're, we'll look forward to the next piece of news that hits our inbox as yeah. you continue to uh, add clients and raise capital and and infiltrate the market and educate the market yeah that's a big part of it certainly so yeah great well um with well, sorry. I was say thank you it's a lot of fun enjoy talking to you guys all right great so we will uh go ahead and just hit our um outro music and uh we will catch you guys next time thank you so much for listening aaron say goodbye goodbye aaron hi guys thank you bye <laughs>